If you have your Bibles, Colossians chapter three, verse one, that is where we're gonna be. I want you to open up there. We're gonna get rocking and rolling right into this text. We got two more weeks to close out this book. And I'm really, really excited for the message tonight. Tonight, I want to talk to you about how Jesus makes all things new. Who put this God statement up. I love this God statement. There's a, there's like a specific like love and care I have for these words. Has anybody in here seen the passion of the Christ? Okay, yeah. It's like, so this, this, it's if you are new here, it's this film like on the life of Jesus, like in his, his death and resurrection. But there's this moment, I don't know if like, if you've seen the movie, you'll know it where, where Jesus, he's carrying his cross to Golgotha. And he's like, he's like in the midst of it. I mean, we've just watched him get like ripped open, beaten, bruised, crown of thorns shoved into his head. And he's, he's carrying the cross. And like, he has this moment where he kind of falls over and he stumbles and the cross falls down. And his mom makes it to him in the crowd. And she's just weeping, watching her son go through all of this pain. And then there's, there's this moment where Jesus looks at his mom, Mary, in the film and he says, behold, I'm making all things new. And every time I see that scene in the Passion of the Christ, like my eyes well with tears, these words that the Son of God gives us, behold, I am making all things new. They give great hope to my soul. And my hope tonight is that you might be able to experience some of the intimacy that I have and that I feel with the Lord when I hear these words. So that being said, we're gonna read Colossians 1 through 10 and we're just gonna hop straight in and we're gonna hustle through this fairly quickly. So if you got your Bible, I want you to follow me. Colossians 3, verse one, it says this, Paul, he says, if then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is. Seated at the right hand of God, set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. For you have died. Everyone say died. If you have a Bible, I want you to underline the first part of that verse three. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ who is your life appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Therefore, put to death what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these, you too once walked when you were living in them. But now, everyone say, but now. But now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Brothers and sisters, this is the word of the Lord to which all God's people said. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Lord, we love you. God, we welcome your presence here tonight. I pray that you would open our eyes to see you, that you'd give us minds to understand you, that you'd give us ears to hear you, and that you'd give us hearts to believe you. I wanna see you tonight, God, and I want the same thing for my brothers and for my sisters. So Lord, would you show us yourself? 
Would you reveal yourself? Lord, let us not just be able to, to see and perceive knowledge, but help us experience it tonight. So God, would you come? Would you have your way? We love you. We love you. Would you reveal yourself here to us tonight? And if you're with me, can you say amen? There is a story of a Japanese commanding officer. His name was Hiro Onoda. It's a fun name to say. Oh my goodness, I almost <laughs> fell off the stage. The day is going to come where I overstep my bounds on this and you're all gonna laugh. It'll be awesome. There's a story of this Japanese soldier, Hiro Onoda from World War II. And I heard this story as I was listening to another sermon and a pastor kind of like mentioned it in passing and I was like, there's no way I have to research that for myself to see if this is true. This is a fascinating story of this, of this Japanese commando officer who was stationed in the Philippine Islands in World War II in 1944, okay? 1944 on the island of Labang, okay? He gets stationed there and his orders were really simple. It was to create unrest, to destroy the airstrip, to take care of peers, and to make sure that like nothing was going well for the people on this Philippine island, to, to just make chaos for the allies. And so his commanding officer said, unless you hear from me, you continue to carry out these orders. This was in 1944. This guy is known for continuing to fight World War II for almost 30 years. This is what that meant. When World War II ended and we have, we have Japan who surrendered, they tried to send word to the island of Labang that, hey, the war is over, Japan has surrendered. And we have Hiro Onoda living out like in the mountains, in the wilderness of Labang. And he hears this and he took it as propaganda. And he looked at the three guys who were under his command and he said, unless I hear from the mouth of my superior officer that the war is over, we are gonna continue to fight. Five years goes by, 10 years goes by, 20 years go by. We're on the 29th year of this guy continuing to fight. The, the, the three guys who were under, underneath him, two of them died, one of them took off. And they started, they started trying to like find ways, like how can we communicate to this guy that the war is over, that the, the, the world he's living in no longer exists. And so what they started doing is they started trying to leave what they called like leaflet brochures in the jungle, letting him know like, hey, the war is over. And he would find it and he'd be like, no, that's propaganda. So then what they started doing was they literally started flying aircraft carriers over the mountains and dropping in letters and pictures from his family, telling him the war is over. And he saw him, he did not believe them. And so, when we get to 1974, they find his commanding officer back in Japan. And they say, hey, we need you to fly to the island of Labang and tell this guy the war is over. So in March of 1974, his commanding officer flies over 30 years later and finds this guy in the mountains and he said, the war is over, you can come home. And this man turned in his rifle with 500 rounds of ammunition and his dagger. And he came home and his, he was celebrated as a war hero. And when I heard this story, I was like, there's no way that could be the case. Like you, you, you have a guy living more than half of his life under a reality that was not true. I want you to pay attention to that. 
A guy living his life under a reality that was not true. When we get to Colossians chapter three, the beginning of this text, the first four verses, the apostle Paul is writing to the believers in Colossae and he's going, look, I need to tell you of a true reality of who you are in Christ. I need you to see something that only believers can see. I need you to see this reality because you cannot continue to live under a reality that is not true. When we read this text, I want you to pay attention to this. We're gonna break down these, these first four verses of Paul trying to go, look, I'm gonna try to like peel back the layers of like what seem to be like these heresies that you're hearing, what people are telling you is truth. They're not truth. I want you to peel them back and I want you to see reality for what it is for the follower of Jesus. And if you can catch it, it'll change everything about your life. And some of these realities, they're like plain simple. There's something that like, it's like right in front of your face. Everybody in this room might go, yeah, duh. But that's not the case for everybody. And here's the thing, even if it's something so simple, it's something that might not be experienced or received or believed. So first, I'm, I'm, I'm gonna kind of bullet through these, these five really quickly and talk about like what it means for us. So the first reality he gets after in this is God, period. Let me put this on the screen. God, I want you to look at these first three verses one more time, right here. Verse one, two, and three. Paul says this, if then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is. We'll get that in a second. Seated at the right hand of who? Who? Okay, pay attention, keep going. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in who? Who? Okay, twice he's going, look, I need you to see that there's not just a God in the Christian faith, it's the God. Are you with me? Like, like there's, there's a reality that the believer sees, that a Christian sees, that there's not just a God over something, but there's one God over all things. And Paul goes, look, you need to see that there's a God, and if there is a God who stands over all things, who is supreme over all things, then this changes everything. If you go back to Genesis 1 and 2, we have the narrative, a story of a God who looks at all of creation, creates it, and calls it good. And on day six, he creates a creature, a being, and what the Bible calls a mago day, the image of God, which means this. Your proof that God exists is you getting up and just simply looking in the mirror. All it takes is for you to realize that who you are, like, like the person in which God created, you are literally a being created in the image of God. There is no other human being on planet earth in the history of the earth and won't be for the future of the earth that is exactly who you are. You know why? Because there is the God in heaven who created you and called you good. This is where, this is where you can, like, if you're an atheist, you're agnostic, you don't believe in God, like you're here in this room, <clears throat> first of all, I'm getting over sickness, so bear with me. Like, this is, what, this is what separates the believer from the rest of the world. Not just that we believe, like, there is a God out there, but that there is a God who is supreme over all things. There is God, period. Paul wants you to see this. But that, it doesn't just end there. Reality number two is that Christ is above. I love this. 
He's saying, look, okay, this God, this God who is over all things, like this God who sits on the throne, he has revealed himself to humanity. He has shown humanity who he is in the person of Jesus Christ. If you didn't grow up in church, let me catch you up on this person named Jesus. Genesis one and two, like everything is created and God calls it good. But in Genesis three, everything goes south. Humanity rebels against God. Sin enters the world and we are separated from God. But that God says, don't worry, I have a plan. I have a plan to redeem you and bring you back into a relationship with me. And that plan consists of me down the line, sending you my son, a savior, one who's gonna do it perfect, one who's gonna show you a better way. And that person is going to live. He's going to die. He's going to raise again. He's gonna ascend to being with me at my right hand. And then he's gonna come again. And you are gonna know beyond a shadow of a doubt that you are mine, okay? This person, his name is Jesus. He came, he lived he died, he rose again. And now what Paul's saying is this, this Jesus, God in man is above all things. And by above, he's not talking about like over Colorado Springs, like above the clouds, like above the atmosphere. No, no, like when he says this word above, he's saying, no, 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 like, like he is the truest reality that exists. He is the greatest reality of value. There is nothing more perfect there is nothing more precious. There is nothing more authentic. There is nothing more true than Jesus Christ himself. He is over it all. This is why if you came here for the first night of this Colossians, if you go back to Colossians chapter one, Paul makes this really, really clear in Colossians 1, 15 through 18. If you weren't here, let me show you real quick. Verse 15 through 18, 15b through 18. Paul says this, at the very beginning of this letter, Jesus is the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things. Everyone say all things. All things were created through him and for him. How can all things be created through you and for you? It can only happen if you are above all things. Let's keep reading. And he is before all things and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body. Notice he says the head. Where does the head rest on the body? Above everything else, in case you weren't paying attention. Ahead of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. That in everything, he might be what? What? Preeminent. You know what that word means? Top. Nothing else to gain. Nothing else to get. Christ is above. Nothing stands over him. Period. So what Paul's saying is he's going, look. For the believer, we know that there's a supreme God and this supreme God has revealed himself in the person of Jesus Christ and this Jesus Christ reigns above all things. But the third reality that he gets after, and this one is awesome, is that for the believer, death is behind you. Catch this, catch this, verse three, put it up there. For you have what? God. Say it again. God. Say it again. I love this language. This is like when unbelievers come to church, they're going, what is going on right now in church? There are a bunch of people going around saying, I've died. I'm dead. If you came to student camp this summer, we're chanting, I've been crucified with Christ. It's like, if you don't believe in God, you're like, what kind of nut jobs say words like this? 
It's like, what is Paul saying for you have died? What does it mean you have died? We're all sitting here like, we're breathing, right? It doesn't mean, it does, that doesn't mean we've died. No, 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 let me, let, me, let me tell you what he means. If you read Paul's letters, you, you hear this terminology all the time in scripture where they talk about the old man, the old creation, the flesh, okay? And what, what, what they're talking about there is this nature. By nature, we are children of wrath, if you read in Ephesians 2. He's talking about there is a man, there is a woman inside you that is hostile towards God, that does not want to submit to God, that wants to be its own God, and like, and like is, is, is literally like in resistance, not just trying to avoid, but in resistance to wanting to believe that there is a God over all things. What Paul is saying here is he's saying, for the believer, that person in you has died. For the believer, you realize that your will and your understanding of the world is not supreme, is not above all things. For the believer, you realize that there is a God who's revealed himself in Jesus, who is over all things, and he's the one who deserves your submission and obedience. Are you with me? So Paul says, look at me, believers of Colossae, you have died, you being Lord of your life, you think that you know best for your life, that you, it died. You put it in the grave. You put it on the cross with Jesus Christ. And now the life that you live, the one that you're breathing right now, you know what it is? Look at verse three again. Can we put verse three again? Up there, oh, it's right there. It's so awesome. (laughs) This totally like, didn't hit the point the way that I wanted to. Can we go to the next slide with verse three where new life is hidden in Christ? Yeah, that's underlined the second part. For you died, but now what? Your life is what? Hidden. It's hidden in Christ, in God. Okay, like there's, this is so cool. This is like the coolest thing about the gospel. And there's like only one way that I know how to illustrate this. Actually, there are other ways, but the way that I want to do this is like a subtle flex because I want to show you a picture of my daughter. Can we put the picture of my little girl up here? This is my little girl, Haven Grace. She was born six months ago. Okay, now just catch this, catch this, catch this, catch this. If you believe in Jesus, catch this. If you don't believe in Jesus, watch this. Okay, what Paul is saying here is he's saying, look, that you, that you that didn't want to submit to God, they died, right? And he goes, so now, now the life that you live, bear with me, your life is hidden with Christ in God. So this, this, this is the way I want you to say, okay, this is, this, this, like, this is right after Haven woke up from her afternoon nap. Now this is, this is exactly what happened. I walk in and Haven always does this. I'll go and I'll open her, her door and her little sound machine's on and we got her blackout curtains going like it's really dark. And she's been crying, like she's crying because she just woke up and she's like, come get me, I can't do anything. And so I'll come in and I'll open the door and I always lead with the same, same words. I open the door and I go, is that my girl? Is, is that my girl? And then what happened is she'll, she'll, she'll stop crying and she'll look over through the slats of her crib and she'll see me standing in the doorway and she'll go, <laughs> and she starts freaking out. She's excited, why? Because she knows she's finally about to get picked up and she's not gonna have to sit in this dark room. But on this particular day, I made my wife so mad. I walked into the room and we always have this process where I walk over and I'll turn off her sound machine. Then after I turn off her sound machine, I walk over to her crib and I'll be like, are you ready to wake up? Did you have a good nap? It's just a ah, ah, ah. And then I'll, I'll come over and I'll open up the curtain. I open up the curtain and all the light shines in the room. You gotta see the light from, from this angle. Then I did something that Haven has never seen me do. Instead of picking her up out of the crib 
I climbed into the crib. And my wife was losing her mind. She's like, you're gonna break it and she's gonna fall through. I'm like, only if it breaks. So I get in, I get in. And it was, it was like one of the coolest moments as a father. I'm looking at Haven and at first she's confused as all get out. She's laying down like, what are you doing? Then I climb in the crib and I sit down and she realized, oh, he's getting in here with me. And yet she, <laughs> freaking out. And so what, what does daddy do? I pick her up. I pick her up and I bring her in and she puts her arms just around and I squeeze her and she's just, <laughs> and so Mariah goes, Haven. And she, right at this moment, she goes, Haven. And Haven turns out, rise and hold her and just big smile. And Mariah snaps the photo. Now, watch this, watch this. You have died. Your life is hidden with God in Christ. For the first time in my life, in the last six months, I've got to experience but a drop in the ocean of like the love that a parent feels for their child. And this photo is like one of my favorite photos that I feel like illustrates like that love and affection. Now, like think about this. Like this is me and my daughter. Sinful father, sinful daughter, okay? Like, like two imperfect beings and yet there's so much love and affection between the two of us when we come together. Now I want you to think about like affection of God the Father. Watch, watch this. For affection, Christ the Son, okay? And I want you to think about the love that God the Father has for Christ the Son and the unity that they have, the intimacy that they share. I would like think, think about in the way that I would embrace my daughter, the way God the Father embraces the Son. Catch this. What Paul is saying Oh man, this gives me tears. For those of you who follow Jesus, for those of you who submit your life to God, you know where your life exists now? You live right here in between the affection of father and son. You are hidden with Christ in God. You know what this means? It means that when the father looks at you, he can only see you in the midst and in the affection and in the love and in the care that he has for his son. Are you with me? So for the follower of Jesus, for those who, who see that there is not just a God, but the God, and this God has expressed himself and revealed himself in the person of Jesus, who is over all things, and that, that you're dead, you're, you're, you have a death behind you, like the worst part of your life, the you that did not want to submit to God, that was hostile towards God, that part of you is dead. So where do you live now? You live in the affection and in the reality and in the love of Christ the Son and God the Father. That is the most truest thing about you. This is where you live. So for all of eternity, for the rest of your life, whenever God looks at you, you wake up tomorrow and you struggle with sin. You wake up tomorrow and you're feeling depressed. You wake up tomorrow and you're really discouraged in yourself. That's not what's true about you. What's most true about you is that your life is now hidden with Christ in God, in between the affection of a perfect father and a perfect son. Are you with me? And then it gets better. It gets so much better. Reality number five. Reality number five, can we put it up there? Is that Christ is coming again. Christ is, so get this, get this, get this, get this, get this, get this, okay. Okay, so, so like now the world looks at your life 
and the world might not know it, but you're hidden with Christ and God. But then this is what Paul says. Can we look here at verse four? When Christ, who is what? Your life appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. This is what Paul's saying. He's saying there's coming a time. This is so cool. There is coming a time where Christ is going to come again. And all that is hidden is going to be revealed to the world. This is what that means. Like, like on the bare bones this is what it means. It means for, if, for those who follow Jesus and live in relationship, and there's coming a day where Christ is going to come. And all of creation is going to look upon Christ. And he's going to stand with you. And he's going to go, mine. He's going to tell the world, you are his. He's going to show the world that though the world might not have known that, that, that you were hidden with Christ in God, that there's coming a day where the groom, as we talk in scripture, like Christ is going to come and he's going to find his bride. Those who, who have submitted their lives and those who have put their faith and put their trust. There's coming a day where he's coming to the world and he's saying, these are mine. And they're mine for all of eternity. It's no longer a secret. It is not something to be hidden. It's something to be revealed and exalted and glorified. Like these are my people. So what Paul is saying is he's going, look, Colossians church, hear this. You live under a new reality, not a reality where you're going to fight a war for 30 years. That isn't something that's true. He's like, no, no, you live under a new reality. You live under the faith and belief that there's not just a God, there is the God. And this God has revealed himself in the person of Jesus. And this Jesus stands above all things. And now you have died and you, you're, you're, you, your old self is dead. And the new self that you have lives in the affection between father and son. And there's coming a day where son is going to come and reveal to the world that you are his. So now what? I am so out of breath. <laughs> Let me tell you now what. Verse five. Put verse five on the He says, therefore, everyone tell me those first three words. Put to what? Put to what? He says, put to death. What is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetous, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. I'm gonna talk about that in just a second. In these you too once walked when you were living in them, but now, everyone say, but now. But now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another. Okay, this is what Paul's saying. He's saying, look, you have a new reality that you live under. So what does this mean for people who follow Jesus? He says, it means you're gonna spend your life putting to death the things that would hinder you from experiencing the truth of that reality. Are you with me? I want you to pay attention. They can't change the truth of that reality. It can hinder your experience of the truth of that reality, but it can't change. You, you know how mad that makes the devil? That your further addiction can't, you, can't separate you from God? 
Like, think about that. Like, think about that. Like, like, like you have this experience with God and, and you give him your life and Jesus is like, ow, you're dead. Now you're hidden with me in God. And then all of a sudden you wake up tomorrow and like you wrestle with some addiction and you're like, ah, oh, this is so frustrating. And Jesus goes, I know it's frustrating. Put it to death, but hear me. You can't separate. I am so gonna get this on time. I am so gonna get this on time. Like think, like, think about that. Think about that. The enemy, listen to me. The enemy, you, your sin cannot change what's truest about you. Do, you. do you hear me? Like literally, your struggle with sin cannot change the fact that you are hidden with Christ in God and that one day Jesus is coming again and he's gonna still say, mine! Mine. So what do you do with the life that you live now, hidden in Christ? Is you put to death the things that will hinder that experience between you and your creator. And what is, what is the reality about those things? The sexual immorality, the, the, the covetousness, like, like all this impurity, this passion, this evil desire. Like what is the truth of those things? Look at verse six. No, 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 go back, go back. Verse six is right there. On account of these things, what is coming? Now here's the thing, I love talking about the wrath of God. It's so awesome. You know why I can say that? Because I'm hidden with Christ and God. Let me show you why that's the case for those who follow Jesus. Go to 1 John chapter four, now you can put this up. Cool, I can't read the screen, so I gotta come back over here. Okay, 1 John four, nine through 10. The apostle says this, in this, the love of God was made manifest among us. He's talking about Jesus, by the way. That God sent his only son into the world so that we, we being followers of Jesus, might live through him. In this love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us. Grace, where are you at? You with me from our conversation earlier? You see that he loved us, but we didn't love him? Okay, keep going, okay. But that he loved us and sent his son to be the, what's that word? Good job, Prem! Propitiation! Everyone say propitiation. Okay, pay attention. This, this is like a big word you never talk about except for in church. Propitiation for our sins. Do you know what that word means? It means the satisfaction of God's wrath poured out. So what he's saying right here is that God, that God loved us. He sent his son. And for the believer, he took all of his wrath towards that sexual immorality, towards that covetousness, towards that malice, towards that anger. He took all of that wrath and he poured it out on his son, on the cross of Jesus Christ. So all of that wrath is poured out on his son, which means that now that I am hidden with Christ in God, the only thing that God has for me is the eternal love and affection and pride that he has with the son. So you see for the believer, the wrath of God is something that God placed towards his son on the cross of Jesus Christ. So that for the believer, when we stand before God and we give an account for our life, you know what the believer does? They say, ooh, I screwed it up. But I plead the blood. I plead the blood of Jesus. And you know what God does is he looks at his son and his son says, bought and paid for. 
This is what it means to be a follower of Jesus is that we live under this new reality. And in light of this new reality, we put to death anything that would hinder our experience from walking in this reality and in this truth. Finishing up in verse 10. I think it's just verse 10. No, half of nine and 10. Half of nine and 10. He says this. Seeing that you put off the old self with its practices. And so what do we do then? As we put to death these things, he says, put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. So don't miss this. Because this, this is where people usually get lost on Christianity. They start going, oh, ugh, following Jesus. Like, like it means that you just like do not get to have a fun life. It's like this, like you're gonna have all of your friends saying this, where it's like, what are you, what are you talking about? Like, you're gonna give up sex in high school? You're gonna, like, you're gonna give up something that feels good? And that's where you go, uh, yeah, you know why? Because that is not the way sex was meant to be used. Let me show you a more glorious way sex is meant to be used. Like, let me show you like what happens and like the beauty of marriage. Put up the, 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 the picture of my child again. Put up the picture of my child again. That's what happens when like it's used the way it's supposed to be used. You know what I mean? Like that's what you call being fruitful and multiplying. Let me rewind. Did you know this is what the believer is saying? This is what the believer is saying. Bear with me, bear with me. I still can make it on time. Okay, look, bear with me. This, this is what it's saying. This is what it's saying. When, what Paul is saying is he's saying, look, if you were to take a, a look at yourself right now, if you were to go and hold a mirror in front of you and you were to say, I don't like what I see. And you were to look at your life and say like, I hate this part of me and I hate that part of me and, and I'm so anxious and I'm so depressed and I still can't get rid of my addiction and I'm still wrestling with sin and I'm like, I, like, I want this to be true, like, but I, I just can't see it. This is what Paul's saying. Paul's saying, hey, this man named Jesus, he will show you a more true version of you. This man, Jesus, will show you a better way to see your life. This man, Jesus, will show you a better way to see the world. This man, Jesus, will show you a better way to see all things. And you know why Jesus can do that? It's because Jesus is the one who makes all things new. He makes all things new. He's the one who can take the dead and bring them to life. He's the one who can take the broken and make them whole. He's the one who can take the hurting and the hopeless and show them a glorious present and future that is not worth being compared to no matter what the circumstance looks like. This is who Jesus is. He makes all things new. And what Paul's saying is he's saying, look, the life you spend right now is a life spent of Jesus showing you, telling you, let me show you a better way. Let me show you a more true way. Can I get the worship team up here? I got you, Pastor Victor. <laughs> I want you to bear with me for a second because as I was praying for you tonight, I felt burdened for two groups of people in here. So bow your heads. 
Bow your heads. We're gonna get like real talk tonight. Bow your heads. As I was praying for you, and I'm like reading this text, the Lord like, the Lord like highlighted. Sorry, I had to take a drink. Keep your head bowed, keep your head bowed. The Lord highlighted verse three to me. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. And, and here's the thing, like, as I was praying for you, like I knew, I knew beyond a shadow of a doubt there was gonna be at least one person who walked in here tonight. And like, you do not know the God that I have been talking about all evening. You do not know the God that we have been singing about all evening. And you, you're hearing words like you have died. And you're like, what is going on? And this is going to sound so weird. Keep your head bowed. But I felt the Lord say, tonight is the night for some to die. In other words, tonight is the night for some of you where that part of you that's hostile to God, that doesn't wanna submit your life to God, that, that wants to simply just run from and avoid God, tonight is the night where that part of you is going to die. It's going to die. And you don't even realize it, but it's already happening. Where, oh my gosh, I'm starting to cry. Where, where like the Lord is beginning to open up your eyes to see how beautiful he is. In this moment right now for the past hour, he's begun to show you how precious he is, how perfect he is, how much he desires relationship with you, how much he is for you. I mean, think about it. You were his idea. You were his idea. The genius of the universe, God himself. It was his idea to create and to make and to sustain your life. And you know what the awesome thing is? Is he wants relationship with it. And so tonight is the night for all of what I've been talking about, for some of you to become true of you. Where tonight is the night you die. Your old self dies, your flesh, it dies. And you know what your new self becomes? hidden with Christ in God for all of eternity. And tonight you're gonna experience for the first time what it's like to be caught up in the affection between the Father and the Son. For others of you, the invitation is to put to death the things that are hindering you from experiencing what's true about you. It's time to say enough is enough. And hear me, I don't, want you, I don't want you to go like, okay, so it's time for me to like pull up my bootstraps and like get my willpower together. That's not what I'm saying. No, no, no. You know how you begin to put sin to death? It's just start by beginning to see yourself hidden with Christ in God. Begin to identify what's true about you. Begin to identify that, look, you are not your sin. 
You are not your sin. What the Apostle Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5 becomes true about you, that he who knew no sin became sin on your behalf. Why? So that now you could become the righteousness of God. You are not your sin. You are not your struggle. And you walked in here tonight riddled with shame. You walked in here tonight completely discouraged, completely hopeless because you feel you can't beat this thing. And I have something to tell you. Jesus beat it for you. So what do you get to do? Walk in newness of life. Set your mind on things above. Put to death those things. See yourself as the son, the daughter, that's hidden with Christ in God. And listen again to your Savior's words where he's just simply saying to you, let me show you a better way. I'm patient. Ooh, I'm like really patient. You are proof that I am patient. He's come to show you a better way. And the invitation is simple. Walk with him. Trust in him. See him. I mean, if you, if you can receive this, this changes everything about what we're singing. I mean, think about the beauty of what we sing if this is true. Can you stand with me? You know, forget, I'm just gonna, can you come up here with me? Can you come up here with me? I just, I, w- I want to take a moment. I just want to worship together. You can keep coming forward. Keep coming forward. We're going to spread out just a little bit this way. Spread out just a little bit this way. Just let everybody come forward. I don't want there to be like people jumbled back there. Keep coming. Keep coming. Keep coming. Keep coming. Can you bow your head now that you're up here? Wherever you sit, in the camps that I talked about tonight, those who you wanna wanna give your life and follow Jesus tonight because you see what he has done for you. Those who are walking with Jesus and tonight is a night to put to death the things that are hindering you from experiencing this truth. Wherever you're at, I just want you head bowed. As we head into this worship song, as I pray over you, I wanna ask you simply to do this. Just invite the Holy Spirit to come. Ask him to come. Like, who is the Holy Spirit? The Holy Spirit is like the Lord, the giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son. He is the Spirit of the living God who inhabits God's people and who makes all of this reality for us, not just knowledge. So in your own way, I just want you with your head bowed to invite the Holy Spirit to come and to show you a better way. Heavenly Father, I lift up my friends. God, I thank you, I thank you, I thank you that you, Jesus, make all things new, which means you have the ability to make every ninth grader, every 10th grader, every 11th grader, every 12th grader new in this room tonight. Every man, every woman new in this room tonight. Every sinner, every weakling, every broken person, every struggling person, every anxious person, every depressed person, every lonely person, you have the ability to make us new 
new tonight. And there is not a single one of us that don't need it. So Jesus, I pray that you would help us see the God that is revealed in the person of Jesus Christ who stands above all things, who crucifies our old flesh and who takes our new life and hides it with Christ in God and who is coming again to display your glory. Would you do it for us tonight, oh Lord? Let's worship, brothers and sisters.